The Other Side podcast mission is to discuss important cultural and social issues relating to race, culture, gender, and equality. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Other Side Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Kirk, along with my co-host, Lucas Sullivan. We've got a jam-packed show for you today. I have a little surprise today for Lucas. We're going to be playing a U.S. Civics practice test. So we're going to have practice test questions, and we're going to see who answers the most. I think that I'm going to win, but I guess we'll have to wait until the end to see. We're going to have a in-studio guest, Zach Garia Farah, who is a 25-year-old dreamer. So we're going to be talking to him about his experience. And then we'll close the show out by talking about the ongoing controversy with the Cleveland Indians logo change. And yeah, so stay tuned. We've got a lot coming up. I have a special surprise in store for Lucas today. He's over here shaking his head. So I thought, why not play a game of U.S. Civics history questions? These questions actually come from the U.S. Civics website. It's the same sample questions that if a immigrant or non-undocumented person were applying for citizenship, these are the questions that they would ask you. Oh, boy. Now, so here's the rules. So what we're going to do is Patrick is going to randomly pick 10 questions from the list. I do not have any prior knowledge to the answer answers to the questions he'll read the question if you think you know the answer you say your name and say the answer got it if you get the answer wrong the other person gets a chance to answer the question if neither one of us know it then patrick will move on to a new question Patrick's gonna laugh at us or if he asks the question and neither one of us know the answer then we move on to a new question the first one to get the most correct answers wins the game cool got it i'm ready Okay, go ahead, Patrick. The first question says, name one branch or part of the government. Lucas. Executive branch. Judicial, legislative. Those are all three. I thought you said one. Yeah, he did. You got it right. Okay. I was just trying to show up. Okay. Question number two says, who is in charge of the executive branch? Scott. Lucas. The president. Yes. You need to be faster on the draw. That's why you're losing. (laughs) (laughs) Sabotage. You were prepared. I wasn't mentally ready. Okay. Okay. The third question says, how many U.S. senators are there? Lucas. A hundred. Yes. Scores two to one. Two to one. Okay. The fourth question says, who does a U.S. senator represent? Scott. Lucas. His constituents? Eh. All the people of the state. Which are his constituents. Is it? Oh. No, that's not right. All his constituents. That You could say that for any elected official. He's trying to determine what geographic area. Okay, fine. I believe it's the fifth question, and this says, what does the judicial branch do? Lucas. Executes the laws of the land. Scott. Carries out the... It carries out the laws of the land. <laughs> That's what it does. Carries out the laws prescribed by Congress. What is it? I would probably say maybe Lucas got it right. This That's the, right. the answers marked are four of them, and they say reviews laws, explains laws, resolves disputes, disagreements. Yeah. What word? That's what I meant. I'm, when I no, said executes I know what, justice. That's what, that's I meant. what I meant. All those four things. You know what? I'll give you a point because you need Thank the you. help. Okay. okay. It's, it's tied, so this will be the tiebreaker. Yeah. The next question says, who is the chief justice of the United Scott. States now? Thomas. No. Lucas? The chief justice of the United States now. I can see his, it's, um, is the first name John? Yes. I know, I can't think of his last name. It's John Roberts. Yeah, it was, is it, are we tied? Yes. So this is for everything. This is for everything. 
All right, here we go. The next question says, name one right only for United States citizens. Lucas, freedom of speech. Scott, do you have an answer? Freedom of religion. You're both wrong. The two answers say vote in a federal election or run for federal office. Okay, we need one it's more. A, no, we still tie. need one Let's to break the tie. tie. All right, see? That was fun, Wasn't though. that fun? That was fun. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Zachariah Farah, who is 25 years old, and he is a dreamer. So I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thanks for... We're all dreamers. No, thank yes. you for having me. We're, aren't we all dreamers? <laughs> yes. I'm excited about this one. I am too. There's a lot to unpack here, so this is going to be fun. This discussion now and, and this issue has been going on basically since before Trump became president. It's been going on for a very long time. And so before we jump into it, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, kind of why you're sitting here today talking to us about this issue, kind of, you know, all the moments that led up to you getting DACA status and all that. And talk to us a little bit about how you're feeling now. Yeah, my family story is a bit more unique within the DACA community, the uh, Dreamer community, the undocumented community at large, just because uh, my family's originally from Somalia and most refugees don't end up in this situation because by the time that you do come here, you already have your papers lined up and those types of things. But my father came here in 99 or 98, I can't quite recall, and he was back and forth. And so my family fled Somalia after the civil war. And so we lived in a refugee camp in Kenya and that's where my sister was born. My older brother was already born at the time. And then they moved to Germany a year later. That's where I was born. And then a year later, we moved to the Netherlands and that's where my little brother was born and we lived there for a few years until I was nine and then we moved to the United States and so although there is nuance to my story that I don't think gets highlighted in the larger immigration story of oh undocumented people typically come from Mexico they cross the border illegally yada yada I recently went to DC and a couple times with an organization called forward.us and we were there hosted by the organization to speak with our representatives and our senators and we were there with over a hundred other DACA recipients I'd never seen so many undocumented people in my life. That was truly eye-opening and it also made me aware that although how we got here, each was different. And although our status with the government, each was different in a little way, right? There's so many different classifications for how you can become undocumented in this country. And so my story starts in 2001 when we came to this country and right before 9-11, our paperwork was processing and we, my father missed the deadline by less than a week. And that caused our immigration status to falter for us who came after him. And although he's a U.S. citizen, right, I could never take advantage of that. So let me try to understand this. You're saying the process to immigrate to this country began in when your father came here in 98 or 99? 98, 99, and he was back and forth. So you guys are living away from him apart from him yeah we lived uh in the netherlands at that time okay so it's it's your siblings and your mom mm -hmm. i have two siblings who were born here but yes and so there's a what two two and a half year process to reunite i would say the whole thing took maybe three years so i would say 98 i didn't see him for a large chunk of that time he was back and forth maybe once or so what was that like I was quite young at the time and I didn't fully understand what was happening, to be honest. I think when we moved to the US, like a little bit before I realized, oh, we're moving, right? And that's the portion of the story that I think really does resonate with the larger community of dreamers as a whole. These are not decisions that were in our hands as children, right? If your parents ever moved when you were a sure. kid, imagine if you lived in Kentucky and your parents moved a 
across state lines into Ohio. And that now had larger ramifications for the rest of your life. As an adult, you're still trying to deal with what that did to your status, your ability to work, your ability to provide for yourself and your family, your ability to drive in this state, your ability to take advantage of any type of, you know, programs to get you a better education. Those are the challenges and barriers that are created once you don't have a proper status. And DACA, although it afforded us a lot of opportunities that I didn't have before, because I started at OSU um, before DACA was in existence. And that was rough. Those years I think back on and I'm like, how did I do it? Right. Those were the most challenging. Why were those rough? Because I remember graduating from high school and wanting to be a marine biologist. And I remember thinking, oh, this is something that'll go away. Like, I'm not going to have to worry about this. Right. And my senior year is when it really hit me because I had two older siblings, one year older than me and two years older than me. And, you know, I think as an undocumented person growing up in this country, you think if you have older siblings specifically, you think, oh, it'll get taken care of. It'll taken care of. It'll get taken care of. Whatever. Right. And I became aware of my undocumented status more and more with each year right can't get your driver license even if you don't have a car your friends are like what's going on you know what i mean why, why can't you drive right um, and those types of things. And then it starts to really ostracize you from your community, your friends, whatever. And a lot of things, you know, like if you can't get a job, if even if you wanted to, or I couldn't go to rated R movies as a 20 year old in this country. You know what I mean? And that, that was rough. There's Easton Mall. There's a curfew, right? Yeah. Couldn't go out. Right. So my school ID was my only ID. It's a picture a year and, you know, senior, whatever, whatever your classification in, in high school is at that time. And that's all I had. And I remember a friend of mine convinced me to volunteer at the Ohio State Medical Center at the time it was called that but yeah to get the ID there I had to go through so many hoops I had to get a petition from someone else to state that I was who I was and then I used my school ID and then they were like well we're gonna run a background check do you have a social security number and I'm like uh I just put zeros all the way through it worked but I remember then that was my golden ticket right because it was a little bit more official I had like some barcodes on I'm like okay this is my ID you know what I mean but like still no age nothing and so I still couldn't access basic things right that's high school it wasn't a big deal I still made it through whatever when I got to college I realized that one it was shame I carried with me right I, I was ashamed of being undocumented I didn't really tell anyone and I was still expected to succeed in the same way that my peers were right you have a what is it called like Haslov hierarchy of needs Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Pavlov's. Pavlov's. Yeah. Right. Something like that. I can't say it. But like, but the <laughs> point is when you have food security and you have a roof over your head and there's a third one I'm, I'm missing. But regardless, as an undocumented person in this country, you don't have those things for certain. Did you have anyone who was in a situation that that was a friend that you talked to? Who, who did you talk to about your feelings about this? Was it your parents? Or? No, no, I didn't talk about it. That's the thing. You just I, didn't, I didn't talk about it at all. And it was really rough because I look back on that time and I'm like, I was really carrying that burden on myself. But also it was really detrimental to my education and that's what i was trying to get to is if you don't have the basic requirements for life right then you cannot be expected to succeed in that type of an environment and i remember being a freshman and my dad was a cab driver at the time my sister and i were freshmen together and he would drop us off at roughly like 7 a.m his first call and he'd pick us up like whoever needed to be on campus the earliest or my dad's call was the earliest and then whoever needed to stay on campus the latest or my dad was at work the latest, whichever was latest and whichever was earliest. I had a really big window every day for when I was on campus. And at the beginning of the week, my dad would always give us each like 20 bucks. And that was supposed to last us for food for the whole week. And I look back on that, I'm like, I remember not having enough money to pay for food for the week. And I look back on what I ate yesterday, you know, like Chick-fil-A sandwich is not cheap. And I was like, swipe, I don't care because right. now I have it. Right. And so there's a big distinction between being undocumented 
without DACA and being undocumented with DACA because at least it gave me a little bit of independence, a little bit of agency to make decisions, but not in the same way that I think I was expecting or I think hope to have for the remainder of my life. Did you have like a daily fear of being deported? Like was I that think ever? For, for a lot of DACA recipients, there are things that come before being deported and undocumented people as a whole, I think, because when I was on campus and I needed to study and I was like, ah, oh, crap, I'm hungry. Well, I got 20 bucks. So how am I going to make that last for the whole week? So I could go to this event. They have free pizza. Let me go to that. You know what I'm saying? And then you, you're managing your time in a different way. You're catering to your needs, right? And one of those at the top is not in education, unfortunately. And so I was never that worried about being deported, mainly because it's not something I talked about. So it's not something that I would internalize in that way. What I did worry about was food. And I remember not worrying about it in like, oh my God, I'm hungry, I need to go get food, but more like, how do I make this tiny amount of money last? And it's really difficult also. I think if, if you guys ever went to campus, uh, OSU. And yeah, I, went, I graduated. Did you commute? Uh, no, uh, I lived right off of campus. Yeah, uh, my, my dad dropped me off. All right. So that was already like, what a weirdo, like his, his dad's dropping him off to college. Right. Right. Second, you know, I was, I'm trying to make friends. I'm trying to get in with kids in my uh, first year experience class, whatever, anyone, some kids from my orientation, whatever it may be. And it's like these clicks get made really quickly. And I couldn't get in because I didn't live on campus and they all lived on campus. So they would walk to each other's dorms to get whatever that then like student orgs. I, I was a freshman. I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do. There's a lot of social aspects of college that I was really struggling with at that time. And I remember. I remember being in my first year experience class with a bunch of peers and like we had seen each other at orientation we'd seen each other in our other classes because the major classes are together it wasn't a large major i was in environmental science major at the time and i remember complaining the whole class about how hungry i was like oh my god i can't wait to be done with class so we can go get food whatever mm. and then they're all like yeah let's get food together i'm like cool 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 we can all get food together and you know it's a very normal social environment right we're walking and they're all like oh let's go here let's go there let's go this whatever and they're like no let's go to fresh express it's a north campus dining hall for students and I'm like, cool, I don't have swipes because I'm a student who doesn't live on campus. And so I remember getting there and I was like, I don't have enough money to pay for this meal. Let me figure out what I can get. I hate grilled cheese sandwiches. Grilled cheese sandwiches is the only thing I could afford. It was $5. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to just get this sandwich. And we get to the end of the line. I pay for it. We sit down and they're like, that's all you got? And I'm like, yeah, I'm not that hungry anymore. And the amount of shame that I felt in that moment, mm. right? The embarrassment, I still carry that with me. That was over five, six years ago. And I think that for me epitomizes what it's like to be undocumented because of the amount of decisions that you have to make on a day-to-day -day basis that don't make sense to other people without this information. Your life as a whole doesn't make sense. People put up with it. People say, okay, that's just how he is, whatever. But they don't understand. The, they don't see the big picture, right? Are you willing to let them into that, right, fold? I have more comfort now than I did then because now I have a DACA status right something that legitimizes my ability to work here and be here as a whole but I didn't have that then so even now I struggle talking about it but I definitely didn't talk about it at that time in my life when, when does your DACA status expire my my current status expires in 10 months and per the regulations before DACA got rescinded and brought back whatever you can't renew until it's six months away so in the next four months I'm pretty sure it'll, it, DACA will no longer be something that you can apply for. Now, whether or not something will replace it, that's what I'm hoping for. But at the same time, speaking of which, last night, President Trump delivered his State of the Union address mm -hmm. and he mentioned DACA and the Dreamers in his speech. And so we have a clip. So I was thinking, why don't we listen to what he said? And I'd like to get your reaction. We are proud that we do more than any other country 
anywhere in the world to help the needy, the struggling, and the underprivileged all over the world. But as President of the United States, my highest loyalty, my greatest compassion, my constant concern is for America's children, America's struggling workers, and America's forgotten communities. I want our youth to grow up, to achieve great things. I want our poor to have their chance to rise. So tonight, I am extending an open hand to work with members of both parties, Democrats and Republicans, to protect our citizens of every background, color, religion, and creed. My duty and the sacred duty of every elected official in this chamber is to defend Americans, to protect their safety, their families, their communities, and their right to the American dream. Because Americans are dreamers too. Thoughts? I think my thoughts on the announcements that he's made about immigration are varied. I'm a bit frustrated at this point just because, you know, we had that December deadline and then it got kicked down the road and then it gets kicked down the road again. And I think a lot of people are tying in a lot of the negative aspects of the government to undocumented people being here as a whole. Oh, they're a drain on our economy. They're a drain on the taxpayer dollar. The budget didn't pass because of undocumented people. They're criminals. They're criminals, Um, you know. There's a lot of negatively associated things with being undocumented and I think our presence here as a whole. And so a lot of Americans might be confused as to, oh, wow, why would we, why would we offer a pathway to citizenship for these people? But it just stems from a large amount of ignorance around the topic. People don't understand that although I pay taxes, a lot of taxes every year i don't benefit from them in any way right i don't get access to financial aid but in the context here the word americans is being used by the president as somewhat of a loaded word i think he's he's charging it with you're not american and when i say you're you yeah no i I understand what what he was and so there's this separation that is taking place that wasn't i guess i'm asking you you've talked about how you've always felt some level of shame Mm -hmm. and how you design every day of your life around being here and being treated and not being recognized as an american and i just wonder like when you hear the president say that stuff does that cause you to cringe or is it just that you've lived with it for so long now that you see that perspective and you just have to move on or does it cause you to cringe and and make you think of the last 17 18, 19 years it's taken your family to settle and become part of this community. I like to think that the majority of American citizens who get polled on these types of things are extremely supportive of the undocumented community, uh, DACA recipients and dreamers as a whole, and conservative uh, polls even put it at 86%, right? So that's the super majority. Um, Now, as far as what they're doing to kind of... um, show that support that's i think where the disconnect is because a lot of people still don't understand what it means to um be undocumented the time constraints were on right a lot of the things that are i think that only affect the undocumented community um it is a bit frustrating to hear the president refer to us in, in that way right it's a subtle jab in my opinion but at the same time it does fit the narrative of oh my god we need to shift from undocumented people to Americans, we need to focus on Americans, Americans, Americans. Well, if we're talking about America, right, 
um, I've been here for for 17 years now. My dad is a U.S. citizen. I have younger siblings that are U.S. citizens. My mother's grandmother, my mother's mother is a U.S. citizen, right? I think I've been here long enough to consider myself an American and also I've, I've taken on that identity and I um, am extremely aware of how much DACA recipients pro- like provide to the economy and then if you add the larger undocumented community. So like it is in the benefit of Americans, regardless of how you coin that term, right? Mm-hmm. For for undocumented people who have been here their whole lives to be able to be granted this type of uh, pathway to citizenship. Now, Trump would like to offer us a pathway to U.S. citizenship, right? Uh, and he outlined that. Now, there are several pieces of legislation that um, also offer a pathway to U.S. citizenship, and we need to make sure that we keep that momentum going and we need to make sure that they act on it and it gets brought to the floor um, of both the House and the Senate for a vote because at the end of the day, we could have avoided this entire government shutdown mess had that just been done to begin with before. It doesn't need to get tied in with anything else, right? A lot of, uh, a lot of senators, a lot of congressmen, a lot of um, legislators as a whole believe that it should have been brought as a standalone bill and I, I think I, I, I definitely agree with that because what you're doing is you're creating more and more complexities around one bill one issue right um, do we tie in this do we tie in that do we well, tie in this and, and also the, the games that get played and I know that you've spoken yeah. on this that you feel like your life has just become a kind of a pawn in a, in a political standoff between Democrats and Republicans you know you have the shutdown yeah. and that was largely related to this issue um, and it was basically a standoff that <clears throat> that led to the shutdown and then you have last night you have you know a, a congressman from Arizona who in response to Democrats saying that they're going to bring dreamers and DACA recipients as their guests to the State of the Union and his response was well we're going to have ca- we should have Capitol Police there to to arrest um, folks who are what he called illegal immigrants and I wonder how do you, how do how does that fall on you when when you see this stuff do you feel done? unwelcome I, that that would be my question do you, when you hear these things does it make you feel unwelcome in, in yeah and does it make you say like maybe I, maybe I don't want to be here I think there's a loud fringe community within this topic of immigration, right? They're much louder than I think the majority. If you don't want immigrants here, scream, right? And if you uh, would like them here, I think there's a lot of lot of inaction within the that community, that percentage of the American uh, community. But last night was historic because there were 35 dreamers at the State of the Union address as guests of lawmakers, right? And that shows that they do see this issue as something that they're willing to address. They do value um, our commitment and our uh, ability to uh, provide to the economy and just overall the positive um, experiences and, and benefits from having us here. And at the end of the day, that is something that 
speaks to because Trump got rid of DACA or he attempted to because he felt as if this should be something that is reserved for Congress and Congress is speaking and they're saying these are the bills that we want to see and that's where we're getting tied in it's not as if there's inaction on Congress's part the only part that I'm getting frustrated with is you have so many options pick one and let's let's Mm -hmm. let's get the ball rolling Congress has the power to get something done today and they should and dreamers by trump's definition of dreamers right americans right can't wait so let's make this happen thanks for being here and you have a lot going on in your life and i hope 10 months from now you feel more settled than you do now mm-hmm. and i hope we'd like to check back in and see how things are going and hopefully you know it, it will work out i hope so too thank you yes thanks let's talk about the indians logo controversy you know i'm an indians fan a lifelong grown up as an indians fan and my thoughts have changed on it at at first uh, you know i I thought the chief wahoo protests were just something that people were doing to just protest were they protesting when you were a kid when they opened up jacobs field in 94 they used to play at the old municipal stadium when they opened up the new place that's when the protests started back up again native americans have protested periodically but there was more focus on the team with the new stadium and they started winning a lot. And so mm-hmm. there was a lot more national focus. So that led to Native Americans saying, well, since the spotlight's on them, now's the time. And, you know, I was in high school at the time, so I didn't, it was ignorant. But now it's, to me, the Indian's name isn't, and the Chief Wahoo thing isn't me offensive. But if it offends someone, then Chief Wahoo can go. And I'm fine with it. But I hear this talk of the Indian's name is offensive. And this is where I talk to my wife. And you've heard my rants, too. It's like people these days just get offended to get offended. And, you know, they go on social media and they just spout off because that's a place where you can just be offended by something. Right. And by the way, what the Indians did with Chief Wahoo, as I understand it, is they're stripping the decal off the uniforms starting in 2019, which I don't know why they just didn't do it now like just just do it because now we're gonna have a year of images of idiot fans doing dumb stuff with chief wahoo and protesting the removal of chief wahoo and it's just gonna make us look like a bunch of yokels and and so it's just like just do it just just say you're gonna do it and do it now but what they agreed to do is take that face off the uniform right. but they didn't relinquish the decal the trademark so that means that they're still going to sell merchandise to fans with the wahoo on it and they're still going to make money off of it. which to me is kind of like that's not the point yeah the point is to eradicate it to right. get completely rid of it and by the way the major league baseball i think patrick has a clip here which we can play but major league baseball made them do this in order to get the all-star game which is a big deal for a major league baseball city to host the all-star game so they pressured them to get rid of this logo because the ownership was not going to do it they were just going to hold out and ride the wave of the protest and it would ramp up when the Indians were in the playoffs and on national TV, and then it would go back down when the season was over. They were just going to deal with it and not do it. Let's take a listen to the Major League Baseball commissioner. I think it's important to keep a few things in mind. First of all, uh, team logos are fundamentally a local issue. Um, it's up to the club, the owner, uh, to decide what the logo is going to be. I understand that there are some people that are offended by the logo, and I understand why, uh, but there are also lots and lots of fans who have real affinity for the logo. They're att- attracted by the history and tradition associated with it, and all those interests need to be balanced. Um, outside the glare of the World Series, at some appropriate time in the future, Mr. Dolan and I will have a conversation, but it's certainly not a World Series topic. Okay. 
So, you know, I don't have a horse in this game because I'm not really into sports like that. So I'm not really passionate. I don't have an emotional attachment to the logo like maybe some some Indians fans do. So kind of being on the outside looking in, I can see both sides of the argument. I think that I always try to encourage people, myself included, to put yourself in someone else's shoes. And so I can imagine that if I were Native American, sure. it would be offensive. So I see that side of it, but I also see the side of people like you. There's a lot of Indians fans, little kids out there that have no idea about you know the history of Native Americans and how they've been treated and racism. And so for them, it's just they love the game. Right. Or they love their favorite player. So when they look at it, they don't see that. But it doesn't mean that it's still not offensive to someone else. Well, and I think the comments made by the commissioner there were during the World Series, uh, when the Indians were in the World Series. The Major League Baseball, which was more than a year ago, Major League Baseball didn't really comment on it a lot. And this kind of came out of nowhere for fans. It caught them off guard. Sure, there had been talk. But he highlights my point that for fans, the other side of the coin is there was only protests about it when the Indians were in like the World Series. And you have a faction of people who just want to protest. That might be right. But I saw the Native Americans outside the ballpark. And I saw them holding the signs. And when you see them face to face, it's kind of hard to say, oh, those are just pe- those aren't people who are there to just protest. Right. Like they're offended by it. And if even if it's five of them, if it's offensive to someone and it's not necessary to be on the uniform, the Indians can have their heritage and their history with they have a bunch of different types of uniforms that fans wear all the time. And my other point is you have the name like the Redskins in football, the Washington Redskins. Now, that to me seems like ridiculously offensive. Yes. And But I see people trying to attach the name. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong if you want. Indians is as offensive as Redskins? Like, the the name Indians, like, the word Indians, is that offensive? I don't know. Well, I didn't think so. It's I'm not Native American. I wouldn't presume to speak for them. However, I mean, Indians is, I believe, kind of like a pejorative way. Is it? I mean, I don't know. Like, there are words that, you know, that are loaded for the black community, and I clearly get those. Those have been... I've just never heard someone say that the word Indians yeah, I, is the same as some yeah, of the other... I, I think other... Redskins is a slur, yeah. basically. I don't know. I'm not sure Native Americans refer to themselves as Indians, or at least they haven't done that for a long time. I think it's a mix of the name and the actual logo. Yeah. I think the Redskins is probably more problematic, or more of a charge Yeah term than the Indians so you know the last thing I'll say I had some friends some buddies who said I haven't worn any Indians gear with Chief Wahoo on it in years some others said I'm embarrassed that I ever bought something and I have sweatshirts and shirts at home with Chief Wahoo on them knowing that they offend people I probably won't wear them out that much but I might wear one to a game I don't know I'm there with fans who love the team and who love Chief Wahoo and everything like that but maybe I won't I'm not going to throw out my Chief Wahoo stuff I'm just going to say I'm not going to throw it in the trash I'm not going to light on fire I'm not going to you know, but I saw some people on social media who were like, you know, that's the most racist thing I've ever. I'm just not there, but I'm glad that the team is at least taking the step toward not being racist or slurring a group of people because this is sports. It shouldn't be that serious. I agree. But I will get upset if, if people start talking about getting rid of the name Indians. I just think that's ridiculous. Yeah, I don't know where the line is going to be drawn. I 
I do think that you have to keep in mind that Chief Wahoo is appropriating culture. Like you're taking the elements of a culture that you that you like and and repurposing it for your own use, even though you're not actually acknowledging the history and and the struggle that came with that image. So so you do have to keep that in mind as far as like renaming everything because it may be offensive to somebody. I do agree that that's a slippery slope. It is. But I also feel like it's not a big deal in sports. I mean, let's be honest. Every time someone's naming rights contract is up, we rename arenas and stadiums and people get over that. And so if well, they had to that, pick a new name or a new logo, no one's going to die. Like The slippery slope is but Major League Baseball honors its heritage, too. So they honor the Negro League. Now, you would never see anything now these days with the word Negro on it. They wouldn't call a team the, right. the you know, because that word has, and maybe maybe Indians 50 years from now will be like the word Negro. But when they honor that league or that era, they still call it the Negro League. Like, they refer to the players that were the great players in, in that league, Negro League players. To me, that's like, we probably need to get rid of that. But I guess since it was called that at the time, that's what we call it. So it's just like, that's a slippery slope of like, how do you get rid of these words? And when do you get rid of them? And I guess if enough people said, stop calling it Negro League, then they wouldn't call it that anymore. Uh, What I'm saying is, I don't know if, if that is attached to the word Indians. Maybe Indians becomes that type of word. But right now it's not. Right now it's not. So I that's why I don't think they should consider getting rid of the name. Chief Wahoo, see ya. We had a very good show today. It was a great show. Very lively discussion. Patrick, thank you for your help. Yes, thank you, Patrick, the Pie Father. Yeah. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of The yeah, Other Side. Yeah, check us out. You know, you, you can check me out at, at Dispatch Sully. Check out what's going on in uh, in the newspaper and find us at Dispatch.com. Thanks again for listening. Please uh, go to Dispatch.com where you'll find uh, more of the stories that we talk about on the show as well as check out the other great podcasts that we have on Dispatch.com. You can always find Lucas's work on there and uh, many more great things. Thanks for joining us.